God is good. We're going to be looking um, again at Matthew 5. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, you can go ahead and turn there. And I want to do just a quick little review. Um, Some of you have been here uh, for the last few weeks. Others of you have been away. And so um, I thought just a little review might be helpful. So um, the book of Matthew, it emphasizes Jesus as our Messiah and our teacher. And also it emphasizes discipleship. And so we want to take a minute to just review these things that Jesus was teaching so that we're being good disciples, right? We're getting what he's um, trying to lay down for us. And so Jesus gave us these Beatitudes. And um, are these a pick and choose list or did he intend all the things for us? All the things. Yep, you were listening. Good. Um, So what does the word blessing mean? Does anybody remember what the word blessing means? Gifted. Gifted. Yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's an invitation to receive God's grace. So we don't look at this as like this is a task list that we have to check all these boxes off in our own strength. No, this is an invitation to step into and receive his grace. All right. The word blessing means, oh, the deep, deep joy. And um, poor in spirit. You remember what poor in spirit means? Humility? Yeah. It's to recognize one's spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord. So we have nothing of our own to offer when we stand before him. We need his grace. And then um, blessed are those who mourn and um, they will be comforted. And scripture talks about that promise in other places. But this particular place, it's in this context. And so what were they mourning that they would receive his blessing? Do you remember? They were mourning over sin. And so really breaking their hearts that they had sinned against the one who loved them so deeply and so wholly. All right, last week, blessed are the meek. Anybody, there were many definitions given for blessed are the meek, but anybody have something come to mind? What does meek mean? Blessed are the meek. Strength under control. Yes, thank you, Lori. And so um, he's saying there's a blessing, blessing, blessing for you, an invitation to receive his grace. And so um, as we get ready to read Matthew 5, I really appreciated, Pastor Julissa, you reading the whole list of Beatitudes. And so I'm going to do that again today. And I want you to listen, because this was kind of interesting. One person noticed that the first several verses teaches about how we enter the kingdom. And then starting verses 6 to 8, how we express the kingdom of God. All right? So Matthew 5, starting with verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. We face opportunities every day to express the kingdom of God in how we respond to life situations. And how many of you can think of a situation that you faced in this past week where you had a choice about how you responded? Were you going to represent the kingdom of God and do the right thing? I remember going to a MOPS convention years ago, Mothers of Preschoolers. That tells you how long ago it was that I was at this thing. But Eliza Morgan, um, the leader at that time, she talked about how that, like, when she was putting her little ones to bed at night and got them tucked in, then she had this planned me time where she would have popcorn and she would watch her favorite show. And she said when she would get all settled and then the first one would go, Mommy. She'd go, coming, you know, and she'd go down and, you know, take care of it. And the second time, Mommy, I'm thirsty, I need a drink, and she would go. She said, like, by the fourth time, she became like this monster going down the hall, like, you know. But then by the time she got the door, she was like, okay, Lord, help me, be kind. What do you need? (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Anybody ever been there where you had to make a choice on how you were going to respond? This week, I faced a situation where I received some information about a health concern from somebody very close to me that I love, and I needed to consider, how am I going to respond to this? Another example that I have permission to share is that I was given some unsolicited driving advice, also known as backseat driving. (laughs) And I needed to think, Was I going to respond rightly? You've had your own situations this week. And when you were thinking about it, did you realize that you had an opportunity to respond with righteousness or unrighteousness? And were you keeping in mind that in this situation, I'm representing the kingdom of God? Well, this is what the Lord has for us this morning is to think about righteousness. And so what is it and who has it? He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so righteousness in the broad sense of the word is the condition of being acceptable to God. And so being acceptable to God, Jesus is the standard of righteousness. First John 2.1 calls Jesus Christ the righteous one. And so meeting up to the standard of Jesus and his righteousness In the narrower sense, it's living with integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness in thinking, in feelings, and in actions as Christians. So in the narrow sense, it's living with integrity, virtue, purity of life. You're thinking 
and feeling and acting, embodying the kingdom of God. And this is only only available and done through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Sanctification, it's a process of becoming more like Christ. And maybe some of you remember those little bracelets, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? In this situation, how do I act rightly? Thinking about that. And so righteousness would be thinking about it and responding how the Holy Spirit prompts you. Now, there's two very important points here about righteousness. One is everybody's born under the power of sin. Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one. And John Calvin says this, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, except we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. All right. So we're born under the power of sin. Every single person is born under the power of sin. We have no righteousness of our own. Righteousness in the broad sense of being acceptable, God, is only possible, not by any human effort. So Islam is working hard, trying to do good things. Many, many other faiths are trying to live right and hope the balance turns out right. The only way we can be right is to acknowledge that we aren't and that Jesus is. And so um, he died for us so that we could be covered by, shielded by, and seen through the blood of Jesus Christ. So God looks at us and sees us as perfectly holy, just like Jesus because of the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice. And so righteousness in that narrower sense of living right is a choice. And before we had Christ, we were always choosing wrong. But when the Holy Spirit comes, it resets in us that choice that Adam and Eve had. They chose wrong. But because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling, we have the, the counselor, we have the prompts to help us know how to live right in any situation. But it's turning away from old patterns and seeking to follow Jesus' pattern of living in dependency to the Holy Spirit. Is that making sense? You tracking with me? Okay, so I think, is there any trouble that Jesus is trying to address in this um, scripture about blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness? What might be the problem? Well, Jesus is trying to invite them to live as true disciples. And there was a group of um, people that studied discipleship for several years here at Gold Avenue and came up with this definition. A disciple is one who knows, trusts, loves, and obeys Jesus Christ, cooperating in the growth of God's kingdom. And so Jesus is trying to prepare people to know him, to trust him, to love him, and obey him. And he knows that there's things that come against that. There's things that come against righteous living, and one is misdirected desire. All right? So we have hunger and thirst for things, but we have hunger and thirst for the wrong things. It's misdirected. And so um, it tries to lure, there's a temptation that tries to lure us back to the old way of living, and it promises satisfaction, it promises joy, it promises that it'll fulfill us. Can't you just almost hear the ads? You know, if you just go down to the casino, whatever, or if you just do this, 
or if I just had the right relationship, I'm going to be fulfilled. And yet, if we're walking in unrighteousness, it never satisfies. It actually, it's a lie. It leaves you more broken and more painful than ever before. So when I received that backseat driving, um, I'm thankful to share that I didn't spout off my mouth. So there has been some sanctification going on over the years. But I'm grieved, truly grieved to share that I had really sarcastic thoughts. I thought, well, how in the world did I ever manage to drive down 28th Street before? You know, like this is a sarcastic thought. And I wasn't feeling happy (laughs) on the inside when I had that sarcastic thought. And I thought, I want to poke this person and kind of jab them or hurt them with my words. And that's not going to be loving. That's not going to be holy. That's not going to be the way Jesus would treat them. And so um, I had to confess that um, because I wasn't experiencing the blessing and the joy that God would have for me when I had those unkind thoughts. There's other examples that we're tempted to live in unrighteousness, um, either in our thoughts, feelings, or actions. So like our thoughts, we might be tempted towards lust or assuming the worst about a situation or a person. Unrighteous feelings, hatred, wanting revenge, lacking empathy, or maybe jealousy. Those are all examples of unrighteous feelings And unrighteous actions, things like lacking patience, lacking kindness or gentleness, perhaps it's not keeping a promise. Those are examples and ways that we can misdirect our affections and our desires, trying to lead us back into old patterns, all right? A second trouble that Jesus may have been trying to warn them about is having little desire to know and trust and love and obey him. All right? We're supposed to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but following him means following a new way of living. And um, it comes after years of living independently, for some of us years of living independently from the Lord. And so do we have that hunger and thirst for him? So my example of when I heard concerning news about a health problem, um, right away I had a decision to make. How was I going to respond to this? And scripture says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God that guards, um, that transcends you, wait, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind. All right, so am I going to be choose to be anxious or am I going to pray about this and let him guard my heart? Am I going to trust him that he's praiseworthy and stay focused on him and today? Because this is the day where his mercies are new. I'm not guaranteed about tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't need to borrow trouble for tomorrow by worrying about tomorrow. But am I going to choose to stay in today and stay focused on him? Am I going to allow this to become a big distraction? I needed to prepare a sermon this week. Um, Am I going to let this become like an idol that I'm spending a lot of time and attention? Or am I going to hand this to the Lord and say, I'm trusting you with this. Please help me stay focused 
I'm not an orphan. And I just had to keep reminding myself, I'm not a spiritual orphan. He's my loving father. He will help us through whatever it is. All right. Do you understand the difference, like how we have this this opportunity to choose and cooperate? All right. The contemporary English version in verse 6, it says it this way. God blesses those people who want to obey him, who want to do right or have everyone treated rightly. God blesses those people more than to eat or drink. They will be given what they want. He blesses you if you want righteousness more than you want food and drink. He wants to invite us into his deep, deep blessings, his deep, deep joy of being filled and satisfied in him. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. I want to just tell you a couple of things about these words. Um, That word hungry in the Greek, um, it's the same word used when Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights. It just simply says in Matthew 4, he was hungry. He was famished. (laughs) He was ravenously hungry. I've witnessed somebody who was on a water fast for 21 days. And I was there when they took their first bite of watermelon and broke that fast. They were weak. They needed food. And they put that food to their mouth in the look of (laughs) absolute delight and joy when they tasted that watermelon. He wants us to be that hungry for righteousness. The word thirst is to suffer thirst, to be desperately longing for water, reviving and refreshment, to be parched so that you need that water to sustain your life. We've watched in the news as earthquakes have happened in other parts of the world, and they've pulled people out of that dusty rubble a week or more after they've been trapped. They desperately need fluids right away. And Jesus says there's a blessing for those that are ravenously hungry and desperately thirsty for righteousness, for God's kingdom as your first priority. There's a blessing for that. You'll be satisfied. You'll receive the righteousness. You'll receive the righteous one, and you will be fully satisfied. What mercy there is from God, his kindness, that he offers his righteousness to cover our unrighteousness. And this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper here today in just a few minutes, is that he gave his very life to cover our sins, just like the coal touched Isaiah's lips, right, and atoned for his sins. It was a picture, a foreshadowing of Jesus and his blood covering our sins. How good God is. How loving, how merciful. And then, as disciples that he offers to fill us and satisfy us with righteousness when we have that as our top concern and top priority in life. Have you accepted the gift of forgiveness for your sins? For some reason, I just felt like 
there was a need to just offer that. If you have never accepted Jesus' work on the cross, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where he imparts and his righteousness covers you. All you have to do is acknowledge, just like Isaiah, whoa, I'm a sinful person. And I live among a sinful people. And he will forgive you. Are there those of us here that maybe say, I kind of have a weak desire for Jesus and for his righteousness. I'm realizing I don't have that desperation as my top priority. The good news is he'll grow it in us. And I've got a few examples to share in a minute. But I wanted to tell you first about a little story because it doesn't, righteous living does not have, it may sound like this big, hard thing to do. It's simple. It's one day at a time, one situation at a time, just trying to do the right thing, asking the Lord to show you what the right thing is. And so I read this story, and um, it just brought such joy when I read it that I wanted to share it with you. And there were these two teenage boys that were out in a boat fishing in northern Minnesota. And so these boys were out trying to catch their big catch, and one of them felt their hook hit something, set it hard, and started to reel it in. He was really excited about what he might find on the end of that hook. Well, when they got it up closer, his um, friend that he was fishing with got the net, and what they pulled up was a wallet in a baggie. And so this young boy may not have caught the fish of his life, but he caught the catch of his life. Because in that wallet, there were 20, 100 soggy, wet bills. Did I say that right? 20, 100 bills. So $2,000 cash was in that wallet. And so they are looking through the wallet. They lay it all out to dry. And then he is looking for who does this belong to? And they follow something that was in that wallet. They end up connecting with a farmer from Iowa who had brought his family up to um, this lake. What is it? Lake of the Woods in northern Minnesota the year before. Had gone to a family resort type thing. And he had gone out fishing. And it had been turbulent. And he had his wallet in a baggy in his back pocket but he's sitting on the edge of the boat and it's rocking and it's rocking and it must have just slipped out but he didn't realize it until he went to pay and there he stood with no money to pay for his family's week of vacation and so managed to work out some arrangements to get back home to Iowa and get the money to the the um, place but can you imagine the joy in that farmer when he gets a call that his wallet has been found. And so he wants to offer the young boy a reward. And the boy says, no, I just wanted to do the right thing. This is your money. It's not mine. And that man, just it touched his heart so deeply. He ended up getting him a special engraved cooler for the boy's future fishing trips. And he said, and it started a relationship where they were talking back and forth. And he said, I'd be proud to have Colin be my grandson. I mean, can you just feel the joy when something right happens? Like, it's, it's like 
These are the opportunities that the Lord gives us. It may not be finding a lot of money, but whatever the Lord brings along our path, it's just doing the right thing, asking the Holy Spirit, what's the right way to respond, to what to say, what to think. And um, as he guides us, he fills us. When we're seeking righteousness, he fills and satisfies us with the richest affair. So how does God help us to acquire a taste and develop a desire for more righteousness? I found a list and adapted it a little bit, added a little bit to it, but a few practical ways if you're looking to increase your desire for God's righteousness. One is to recognize that discipleship is a process, and it's an intentional process. And so um, becoming, maturing, and multiplying disciples being committed to the mission that God's given us to go and make disciples. And our lives is a, are a witness, and it can be a witness for the kingdom or it can be a witness for unrighteousness, right? How we act is really giving like the world a picture of what Christians look like. And so are we, are we representing God well? Another um, thing is to be a student of Jesus to read through the Gospels and just to admire how that as Jesus interacts with people and his kingdom starts to come, the beauty of that as situation after situation is set right. And you've been studying this this summer, looking at Matthew, how that the demons flee, healing comes, um, peace comes, relationships are healed. Ask God to sanctify you. Just make me holy, Lord. Make me more holy. Help me to want the things that are good and right. You might ask yourself, what am I hungry for? What am I really hungering and thirsting for? What am I devoting my time towards to try to get or attain? And if it's not of the Lord and his kingdom, if it's not eternal, then you might want to just repent and turn away from anything that's become an idol, unintentional idols. But something can start to take the place of God in your life where you give more time, attention, and effort than the kingdom of God. And then just turn towards following Jesus. And then as you see all that's broken and hurting in this world, pray that God will increase your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 1800s in England, he, um, when he was talking about growing in hunger for um, righteousness, he said this. He said, He does not hunger and thirst that has his own political party may get into power, but he does hunger and thirst that righteousness may be done in the land. The person that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness does not hunger and thirst that his own opinions may come to the front. But that his, or that his own sect or denomination may increase in numbers and influence. But he does desire that righteousness may come to the fore. All right? Were you tracking? Do you understand that? He's saying, rather than say, I'm all in for a political party. You're saying, I'm all in for God's righteousness. And so you're looking at situations and saying, Lord, bring your righteousness. Bring your holiness. Bring what aligns with your word in this situation. 
And we're not trying to rah-rah a certain denomination, but we're saying bring revival because we love you and we love people, right? Righteousness and justice are closely associated. And um, Psalm 11 says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. And so don't be surprised as hunger and thirst for righteousness increases that you start to notice things that aren't right, that are unjust in the world. And so the Lord may start to um, really call you to start praying and advocating and getting involved in acts of compassion and mercy. Some of you have written letters um, to public officials this week. Some of you volunteer with after-school mentoring programs. Others of you support clean water measures and perhaps support children in poverty, either internationally or here in the United States. These are all acts of righteousness partnered with justice. And so finally, how to stir up a desire for righteousness. If you think about a time where things were right, like you just... Like at the end of the evening, you just sit back and go, oh, man, it just doesn't get any better than this. All right? Maybe you've gathered around with some friends. You've had a nice meal, and you've had a bonfire, and it was just so pleasant and relaxing. Ask the Lord to give you a vision for what it's like when his righteousness comes fully in your family, among your neighbors in the workplace, at school, wherever you find yourself, kids or adults, wherever we find ourselves, ask the Lord to give us a glimpse and help us to get a vision for when his righteousness comes because that's going to increase our desire to participate with it and pray for it. And so in closing, when we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we're longing for things to be set right. We're hungering and we're thirsting for righteousness. And God's good promise to us today is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen.